I'm going to read this slowly. I want you to take it in. I want you to give honor to God's word right here. It says this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Religion is going to tell you what you must do. Christianity, true Christianity, real Christianity, the grace of God Christianity is going to tell you what has been done on your behalf. And you would say by grace, You have been, past tense, it's a done deal, saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Imagine this with me. If you belong to Jesus right now, you may be standing on earth or sitting in a chair or sitting in a car, but you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Mike, I don't feel it. Your feelings have nothing to do with this reality. Seated with the one who has all the authority. Seated with the one who has all the power. Seated with the one that speaks and mountains tremble. Seated with the one that he just opens his mouth, sends his word, and heals their diseases. Cancer be healed in the name of Jesus. Bones come back together in the name of Jesus. Wombs open up in the name of Jesus. Headaches cease in the name of Jesus. So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. So that in the coming ages, so that in the coming ages, for the purpose of, for the el propósito, for the, for, the, for the end game, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, you can't even measure it, riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And someone today needs to exercise faith. Everything's been done but the faith. Today, when the faith comes, salvation's going to hit. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Regalo de Dios. Don de Dios. It's It's the gift of God. Not the result of works. So that no one may boast. Today I'm going to boast in Jesus. And I'm going to boast in the cross. And I'm going to boast in his resurrection. I'm going to boast that there is nothing he cannot do. And I'm going to boast in the fact that we may be nothing, but he is everything. (laughs) And I want to talk about what's so amazing about grace. God help in Jesus' name. Amen. Slap someone high five. Have a seat. And let's talk about grace. Everyone say, gracia. So I just finished a book called Conversations with People Who Hate Me. Conversations with People Who Hate Me. And it's written by a guy. He's a, an activist. He's a, he's a homosexual activist. And had sort of made 
sort of made a name for himself and, and made, gotten quite a bit of success really putting people in their place. Like it was sort of his mission to be able to take especially right-wingers, is what he would have said, like conservatives, and to be able to put them in their place because of the, the, the mean people that they are and the mean creatures that they are. And, and so he would. He would go and he would, uh, he'd really just give them zingers and he would sort of do his justice is how he felt. The problem was the more he went through this, the more he went along, the more he was coming to realize that, wait a minute, you know, the same mean-spirited people on the other side, which, by the way, everyone thinks the other side is meaner than their side, right? The same things that, that others would do to other people, he realized he was doing the same thing to them. And so he would sort of put people in their place and shame them, and then he would get them canceled. In fact, if any of you have spent any time on Twitter recently, the, what, what most people have assumed that doing justice, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. would have marched uh, and done nonviolent protests and whatnot. Now people think that they've replaced the old school civil rights with uh, now what we do is we go and we publicly humiliate people online. We get them canceled. We give, put their addresses and phone numbers online and get them to commit suicide and things like that. And so that's the new hashtag justice uh, and this guy just sort of, uh, sort of came to himself realizing, wait a minute, the same thing I hate in other people, I have become the same monster that they are. So he writes this book called Conversations with People Who Hate Me. And turns out he, he would go and he would find the people that were saying, hey, I wish you would kill yourself, or they would speak all kinds of things against him and his sexuality or whatever. And, and he would engage in, with them in conversations. And this book is a book that kind of details that. Now, obviously, I don't agree with all of his theological or philosophical conclusions or positions. What was interesting to me is that I was reading a book by a gay activist that was giving me greater insights in some way into grace than I have for many believers and Christians that I'm watching in culture right now. I was reading one of the commentaries on his book and they said this, he challenges us to talk to people we disagree with and remember that they are humans. He gives concrete examples of how understanding conversation and grace can bring us closer together. Now, when I'm reading the, the world that we're in right now, I, I am not finding non-believers. And, and, and trust me, if anyone follows football, Tony Dungy's been crucified this week for a lot of his faith that he has. And he's a great man of God, former coach, and all these kind of things. But he's been slammed. And so I'm not claiming that culture is not going to, Jesus promised, if you love me, the world is going to hate you at some level. To be sure that is the case, I just want you to know this. I do not find a lot of non-Christians that are offended because Christians are praying for so many sick people that don't get healed. I don't people, hear people say, you don't pray for enough sick people, I'm offended. I don't hear them say, uh-oh, I was at work and I heard a Christian say a cuss word. I'm so offended at the Christian's cuss word. Just, just little, little, I'm, I'm not hoping you cuss. I'm not wanting you to cuss. I'm just letting you know, your cussing is not making people go to hell. I'm not even hearing people that are all over the world say, oh, I'm so surprised at the lies, at the cheating, at the lust, even at things like adultery. Don't get me wrong, people get exposed and they'll get sort of, you know, shamed or they fall from grace and whatever. What I'm letting you know is most people in the world are like, I get that. Oh, all of us wrestle with these kind of things. What I do find people having had enough of is saying, I struggle with the fact that Christians are so mean ruthless, condescending, judgmental, might I say, graceless. 
which is ironic because when C.S. Lewis was at a convention of comparative religions and they were trying to debate what are the differences between all the religions and they had been talking for several hours, C.S. Lewis walks in the room and a group of people said, hey, is there any distinguishing mark between Christianity and every other religion? C.S. Lewis doesn't even sit down. He says, oh, that's easy. The difference between Christianity and every other religion is grace. And he walked away. La gracia de Dios es la diferencia. The grace of God is the difference. You won't be changed by grace until you're amazed by grace. And the question is, why do the people who claim to believe in grace struggle so much to live it? That's this grace fluency. Church, if there's anything, I, I do in our church seeing miracles happen. But friends, you can have miracles happen, and if you do not have grace, you're nothing. We can do all kinds of work. We can send money to the uttermost parts of the earth. We can go do good works in East Gainesville, West Gainesville, North Gainesville, South Gainesville. If we do not have grace, it's like 1 Corinthians 13. It's like a clanging symbol. It means nothing. Why do we who believe in grace struggle so much to display it and live it? Number one, because anti-grace is the air that we breathe. I, I do just want to let you know it's not just Christians, it's the world that we live in. And I'm saying, church, come out and be separate. The world you live in is graceless. We cannot be graceless. You go to a job, there's no grace at your, at your job. You don't get bonuses on grace, you get bonuses on performance. Right? It's performance-based. It's meritocracy. You get your merit. I'm asking us to become fluent in the one thing the world does not understand, which is the grace of God. I wrote a blog several years ago, and in the blog, all I was making the point about being pro-life, and I, all I was saying was that if, if you're like me, and if you're pro-life, and you believe in justice for humans in the womb, you need to be pro-life and believe in justice for humans outside of the womb, which means, so we're going to be very much pro-child in the belly, believing that that child was conceived by God and, and has human value right there, but then once they get out, it's confusing to a world that watches us when they hear us say we're pro-life, inside the womb, but then we forget till the tomb. And there's like, ah. so I write this and I, I'm old. I mean, the, the hatred that came on the, because I left the comments open and there's one guy, I mean, he was just, did everything but cuss me out. You baby killer. You, you, you love baby killer. I mean, just all this stuff. And I mean, I get to the end of this. I'm like, what? Usually people are chickens and they don't have their real names on there. His real name was on there. I just Google searched the guy. I'm like, okay, who is this guy? He was a mega church pastor. So I went ahead and contacted him. I just went on his church website. I emailed him because it's like, hey, would you like to talk to the pastor? Do you need some of God's love? You know, so. So I said, hey, pastor, my name is Mike. I need some of God's love. And so we started talking. I said, hey, bro, like I wrote this blog I'm writing you, I'm not responding, because he was even saying in the, in the notes, what are you, a chicken? Why won't you respond? Why won't you, why won't you fight with me online in front of this whole world that's watching right now? I thought I was throwing out a lob ball because in my very blog, you know, and it, I, was, I was making the case. Listen, I'm, I'm pro-life. I'm very traditionally pro-life. My position is very much orthodox on this, like God's people has been for thousands of years. And I said, hey, bro, so could, I, I took the fight offline. Just so you know, like, 
I'm 100% pro-life. Say, I believe in the dignity of an unborn child. I said, I said so do I. I said, bro, like, I'm, I, I like talk at our local fundraising events that we have for the ministry that's raising money and, and helps women keep their children. And our church gives more money than is probably as much as any other church in town. I said, we are all, and he said, oh, I, I had no idea. I, I guess I missed that part of your, I said, despite all of that, that is not the look we, I'm, I'm like, I'm taking you offline. I don't want the world saying, this is how we act. I said, bro, I love you. And I, and I, but I mean, man, we, what could I do? And he was just like, man, Mike, I'm, and he just said, brother, I repent. <laughs> now, kudos to him. He's like, I am that man. He's like, you're like the prophet right now coming and saying, you are that man. He said, man, it's me. I said, dude, if we're going to go get the world to believe in our grace, we're going to have to, we got to be smoking what we're selling. All right, that was offensive. We need to use the Amway soap that we're pushing, okay? See, anti-grace is the air that we breathe and the world we live in loves to say, I showed him. Girl, you told her, cancel him, cancel her. I'm dead to him. I am dead to her. I gave him what he deserves. Make them pay. And then at the end of the Twitter post, it's hashtag justice, to which God says, to the contrary, you guys have twisted my heart. You've warped my justice because justice without grace is perverse. This is why God would say, and I'm, we have a fluency called justice, but just to be super clear here, God's justice always must be do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. When you divorce justice from the grace and mercy and humility of Jesus, you always turn it into a Frankenstein invention that God never imagined. Anti-grace is the air that we breathe. What is grace? Well, what is mercy? Now, grace and mercy are different. Mer technically, mercy is when you don't receive what you deserve, okay? You've done something wrong. Mercy is to not get what you deserve. You deserve jail. You don't get a jail sentence. That's mercy. You're not being punished. Grace goes beyond that. Grace is gonna be where not only are you not receiving what you, don't de what you deserve, grace is actually a gift. Everyone said regal. Grace is a gift. Grace is where you receive that which you did not earn. Language is important because language transmits meaning. The problem is many words like justice have lost their meaning. Like the word justice is almost useless in American culture right now because no one's in agreement on what we even mean. Interestingly, the word grace is one of the last truly great words because people still get it. I mean, think about the semantic range of the word grace. We, we say things, we say grace before we eat meals. We are grateful for kindness. We're gratified by good things. We are congratulated when we do something well. We give gratuity when we've received good service. The opposite is also revealing. We have people fall from grace. Preachers have fallen from grace. Bill Clinton, O.J. Simpson. When someone's done something wrong, when we insult them, we call them an ingrate or a disgrace. Bad people have no saving grace. When someone's fallen completely out, we call them persona non grata. 
We claim things like we want justice. In reality, what we often want is vengeance. And the irony is we live in a world that says we want tolerance, but we are intolerant with the very people that we call intolerance. People on the right do this, people on the left do this, Christians do this, non-Christians do this. It is the air that we breathe, and into that air, God wants and calls for grace. I read a book that was recent, a little while back called So You've Been Publicly Shamed, and one of, the, one of the stories in the book was there was a man at a conference of about 2,000 people, and with thousands of people there, this man made a little um, comment, like a little joke of some kind that was totally inappropriate. The woman that was standing like they're sitting in front of him she took out her phone. She took a picture of him. She got his, his, his picture, his name badges there or whatever. She immediately posted up on Instagram. And she, you know, Instagram, I think, and Twitter, perhaps. She's at this conference. She tags the conference with the hashtag of the conference. And she says, let's go cancel this guy. Before the, before the session was over, the guy was canceled. He had to leave the place. He was shamed. He had instantly lost his job. Now, it was, sort of, it was, a, it was something that was inappropriate, but it was kind of like junior varsity inappropriate. But it had gotten so widespread. He's being told that he needs to go kill himself. He's having all this kind of stuff. He was publicly shamed. Well, then what happens, you give this a few days and you get enough death threats to where he's now got people coming against her. She ends up having to lose her job because she's the person that does, goes and does the public shame. And so the, per, the point of this whole book was like, we live in this culture now. Back in the day, we used to lynch people. We don't lynch people anymore physically. Now we lynch them online with shame. The cure for shame is a gift called grace. It's interesting that Jesus never defines grace, but he talked about it all the time. He would, he would tell stories to try to describe. Grace is like a shepherd that leaves 99 to go after one that goes astray, and he goes and gets them and puts them back on his shoulders and brings it's It's like that. Grace is, the kingdom of heaven is like a guy that owned a business and he went out looking for laborers and there were people that didn't have jobs and so he felt bad. So he found some people and he goes out early in the morning and, and sure enough, there they are. They needed a job. He said, hey, come work for me. And I'll give you a day's wage. Like, sweet, we'll do it. But he kind of felt bad. Middle of the day, he realized there's people that still don't have a job. And so he goes out noon and he's like, hey, do you want to work? He said, yeah, I'll come work. Why don't you come work for me? He's like, uh, I'll pay you what's right. They're like, hey man, we got, no, we got no leverage here. Whatever you say, we'll go with you, you know? And then he feels so bad. He even goes out like 30 minutes before the whistle's going to blow and the day is over. And he says, would you like a job? They're like, I'd like a job too. And they're like, hey, we'll start to work for you. So they start to work. And then at the end of the day, he gathers them all together with the last first and the ones that come last, he pays them a full day's wage. And they're like, what? And then the people that, you know, they're just like, they're just so, I mean, they walk out, they're just thrilled. They're rejoicing, you know? And then the next group, they get some stuff. But the people that were there at first, they're like, wait a minute, we worked all day long. We're assuming we're going to get even more than they did. But then they just get a full day's wage as well. And they're like, what? And they kind of get disgruntled. They're like, ah. And he's like, wait, wait, why are you frustrated about my generosity? I should be able to do whatever I want to do. And they're like, yeah, but we're kind of ticked off because we feel sort of entitled. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's what the kingdom is like. Entitled people never get it, but those that are thankful, they always understand. It reminds me of the, the, the culture we're in right now when it comes to like student loans. Like imagine any of you that have student loans, if all of your student loans got forgiven right now, you'd be like, hallelujah to Jesus, right? Hopefully. So I was watching something online that went down and, and a guy that was writing with this was just like, hey man, so I'm a laborer. I've been working the last 15 years. I work hard. 
I could not go to college. I did not have a family that could go get me to college. I could get no scholarships to go to college. I've been working my butt off since I was a tradesman when I was 17 years old. I've been working and working and working and working. And now these, these college students that go drink Starbucks all the time, you want me to go pay off their student loans to let them eat, you know, drink Starbucks? So wait, so I'm supposed to subsidize their education where they're gonna come out making way more money than I ever made? You expect me? To which I heard some people say, whoa, man, where's your grace? Like, where, where's your grace, bro? You need to say, what's up with your attitude? He's like, well, what's up with my attitude? I'm entitled to, like, that's, that's not fair. To which people on the other side, like, well, wait a minute. I mean, th this is not easy. I got all this, this student loans and I don't know how I'm going to pay it off. I'm going to come out and, and this kind of thing. And if the government wants to give me, then I'm entitled to, to my stuff. And so and that I, I'm entitled and, and like take the student loan. I'm not making a commentary on what I think or don't think about the government paying off student loans. What's interesting to me is people that want to go get, I don't find when people have gotten their stuff restored, I don't see them going, oh, I need to have a post. Thank you, government of the United States. I am so thankful to live in this place. I am so hashtag grateful. Because people are like, dang right, I'm entitled to get mine. And then you got the guy on the other side who's like, dang right, I'm entitled to not have to pay for yours. And interestingly, what you find is you've got a culture of anti-grace that when people, see, here's the catch. You cannot be grateful for what you feel entitled to receive. <sighs> you, you can't. And yet Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is for the people that are like, what? I don't deserve this at all. See, I'm telling you, you feel entitled? That's the worst thing to do in marriage is to say, my woman better do this. For, I'm entitled for my woman to give me this. That is called the spirit of stupid. <laughs> entitled? I want to say, Ruthie, I deserve hell. <laughs> but if you'd like to give me a kiss, I'll receive it, okay? <laughs> but I don't want her kissing me because she's like, well, I'm doing my duty because he's entitled to a kiss. What, what, can you imagine that? Oh, how many kisses do I have to do? How open does my mouth have to be? <laughs> what is grace? Grace is... Philip Yancey, I, I, I love his book. When, when, he talks about, when he talks about grace, he, he tells a story. One of the stories that he tells is of a woman that she and her husband, they, went to, they were getting married. And she goes to this, she, they go to, they're at this place in Boston. They go to the Hyatt, downtown Boston, so excited. They're picking out all the silverware, all the china, all the dishes, all the food. They're doing all the things. This is 1990 was the year. And they're, they're, they're all excited to do all these things. They buy all the, the invitations. They send out the invitations. But the day that the invitations are going to go out, the woman um, gets bad news from her fiance who says, hey, listen, I've gotten cold feet. I really don't, mm, I don't want to get married anymore. She's like, wait, wait, what do you mean? Like we just, we already put down, it was $13,000 and $1990 for all of, for all of our, for their feast that they're going to have, you know, for the reception had, they'd already put down half of it. So she ends up going back to the Hyatt in downtown Boston, goes to the lady that's in charge of all the stuff, says, Hey, can I cancel this? Can I get my money back? And she's like, listen, I totally get it. My fiance dumped me as well, but unfortunately there's nothing I can do. Like you've lost almost all of it, I can give you 90%, I can give you $1,300 back. To which she's just like, man, forget it. 10 years earlier, 
she had been a vagabond. She had been homeless living on the streets. And she had kind of gotten restored, got a good job, got a nest egg. She'd saved up her money. Here she was. She said, you know what? What the heck? Won't be a wedding reception, but let's go ahead. Let's go forward. I'm going to throw a feast. She remembered what it was like to be homeless. And so she decided she was going to throw a feast for all the homeless of the city, all the bag ladies, all the down and outs. She'd go into every homeless shelter and all the places and cracks and crevices of, of Boston and say, whosoever will is welcome at my party and I'm going to come and give you a treat. And so in June of 1990 at the Hyatt in downtown Boston, this lady throws the biggest feast for people that are used to eating off of cardboard pizza boxes and eating this leftover scraps of people from the night before. On this night, they were gonna come in and she altered the menu. She got boneless chicken breast in honor of the man who backed out. <laughs> and for hours into the night, people on aluminum walkers and people that hadn't had a decent meal in months, and bag ladies and homeless men and addicts and strugglers made their way in drinking champagne and chocolate wedding cake and chicken cordon bleu. And they danced to the old dance music till late into the night where they had a night that reminded them what it was like to be human. It's what's called a gift. The kingdom of heaven is like a party that you did nothing to earn. You just said yes to the invitation. And you show up and you're like, this is the best food I've ever had. The kingdom of heaven is the place that when people die, they are going to prepare for a feast where the king of glory named Jesus is going to throw a banquet and you are going to eat the best food you've ever eaten and drink the best drink you've ever tasted and see the greatest dances you've ever imagined. And it is going to be thoroughly clear to you, you did nothing to buy a spot at this table. Someone else paid for it. It's a gift. Grace is a gift. The, the, Paul would get a little more clear. The Apostle Paul would write a lot about grace. He would even use the word charis, C-H-A-R-I, charis, is how we would do it in English. It's where we get the word charismatic. It doesn't really mean like a personality trait. It's, it's a gift. The idea of charis is it's an unearned, it's undeserved, it's unmerited, nothing you can do. It's a pure gift. I'm telling you, Christians are not grace fluent. Most Christians I know, they, they're like 50% grace, 50% law, 50% I earned it. 50% I deserve it. 50% I'm entitled. Grace means I'm entitled to nothing. It's pure grace. I'm not at this banquet because I deserve it. I'm here because he bought it. I'm the druggie. I'm the addict. I'm the homeless guy. I'm the bag lady. I'm the one that just stumbled off the street and eating my cordon bleu with chocolate cake, drinking that champagne. Like, wait, that's, I'm the guy that, wait, why am I here? Because of him. Why do I have any goodness? Because of him. Why do I have a hope? Because of him. Like, why do I have a future? Because of him. Why do I have a destiny? Because of him. Yeah. 
Well, Mike, have you been faithful? I, I, I want to be faithful, but just know this. My faithfulness is the fruits of my reaction and response to his grace. It is not my wages to deserve his grace. I get the gift first, and then I become faithful later. You can't be faithful enough to get to heaven. And you can't be faithful enough to get heaven to love you because he already adores you because. Not because of who you are. It's actually because of who he is. You and I, by nature, are children of wrath. By nature, we're warped. But he is, by nature, love himself. And what changes someone is when love himself gazes upon you and when his eyes get a hold of your heart, you're like, what? You love me like that? And you know you do. It's not that you're 10% adorable. You're 0% adorable, but he's 100% adoring. And when the one who is adoring touches your unadorable self, he makes you into something else. You could say, well, Mike, don't humans have worth? They do because of who made them, because of who loves them, because of who looks at you. The reason you're amazing is because he adores you. That's why. That is why. Now, hopefully that becomes the fuel for obedience, the fuel for good works. But grace is a gift. The, the, it's interesting. The root word of grace, charis, is actually C-H-A-R-I, like caro. It's like caro. The root word is, it's a word that means to rejoice or be glad. You know, you really receive grace when it takes your breath away. At Christmas time, my breath was taken away. Tim Welch has a daughter named Leah who was in my youth group. And when I was a freshman at UF, I was driving down 39th Avenue a few hours before a keg party. And I don't know how he did it, but somehow he spoke to me in a way that let me know that although I'm a sinner and although the wages of sin is death and although my sin corrupts me and although my sin distorts me and although my motives are not pure and although I don't even know my own heart and I'll, I'm a sinner, that he loved me, that he gave himself for me. I'd heard the story. My mom would drag me to church. I'd heard that Jesus loved me and died for me. And, and all those John 3, 16, God so loved the world that you kind of roll your eyes out. I don't know why I wasn't rolling my eyes that Friday night. And I'm driving down 39th Avenue, like arrested. Like, man, I'm in trouble. Like, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I mean, God's good. And I could feel it. Like, he loves me, but I'm, I'm, I'm a wreck. I'm a, I'm a mess. Like, I'm a mess, but I'm loved by, it's like this tension. I'm a mess. I'm loved by God. Like, I'm a wretch, but I'm loved by God. I'm like, what, what am I to do? And the answer is to believe. And it's like, Mike, are you going to believe? You're saved by grace through faith. You got to choose to believe. You have to choose to, to lean, to trust. Like, when you get married, you believe in someone when you're like, I do. That's when you believe in that person. And I pulled over off the side of the road. I get out of my car. I kneel down underneath a tree. And I was like, Jesus, I'm jacked up. But if you'll forgive me, I'll follow you. I'll give you my life. Like, I don't even know how it all works, but take my life. Like, I want to follow you. And I, I, I knelt down condemned, and I stood up adopted. It was crazy. I mean, oh, the burden of my sin was rolled away. It was like, if you've ever, oh, it just felt like, oh, the peace that passes understanding to know that you're right. It's like, maybe nothing else good will ever happen in my life. But I'll tell you this, 10 million years from now, I'm going to be with him. 
It was underneath this tree that's very special to me at the old property that our church used to be at because I, I happened to do this kneeling down in the backyard of a church that I'd never been to, that I went to church on that Sunday morning for the first time, and now I'm the senior pastor of that church. So at Christmas time, Leah Welch gives me this, which is a piece of bark from my tree and a pine cone from my tree and some dirt from the ground. where my sins were rolled away. That's where it happened for me. When it happened was on another tree 2,000 years ago when he was on a cross and I was on his mind. And you were on his mind. And, and I, I put this in my office and I, I put it on my shelf and this week I'm like, man, this, this grace fluency, this is... This is where Isaac Watts would say, tell of his wondrous faithfulness and sound his power abroad. Sing the sweet promise of his grace and our performing God. I'm not saved by my performance, I'm saved by his. Engraved as in eternal brass, the mighty promise shines, nor can the powers of darkness erase those everlasting lines. His very word of grace is strong as that which built the skies. The voice that rolls the stars along speaks all the promises. Or Philip Doddridge would say, Grace first inscribed my name in God's eternal book. T'was grace that gave me to the Lamb with all my sorrow took. Grace taught my salt to pray and pardoning love to know. T'was grace that kept me to this day and will not let me go. This is the grace fluency. The grace fluency means you don't just get saved by grace. It means you keep growing by grace. You keep progressing by grace. It means you keep coming back. You keep coming back and looking and gazing and remembering and pondering again. Oh, wait, wait, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. At the cross, at the cross, that's where I was made right. At the cross, at the cross, the burden of my sin was rolled away. I have to keep, this is why Paul would say, all I do is preach Christ and him crucified. Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. If you asked him, what do you write about? He says, I only I've got one theme, Christ and him crucified. Christ and him crucified. This is the grace fluency, my friends. To be fluent in grace means when you are wrestling with shame, get back to the cross. When you are wrestling with condemnation, Nation, get back to the cross. When you are wrestling with wondering if you've got what it takes, get back to the cross. This means that we become fluent in understanding that the grace of God is a gift, that you get in by a gift, that you stand because it's a gift, you grow because it's a gift by grace through faith. Watch, I got saved by grace through faith. I am tempted to believe I'm going to grow by grace through my hard work. You do not grow by your hard work. You grow by grace through faith. 
By all means, I want us to help the poor. By all means, I want us to speak good words to people. What I'm telling you, though, is this is how you grow. You do not grow without coming back through this vision. This is where you've got to keep coming. Wait, you've got to get back to the tree. You've got to get back to the tree. You've got to get back to the tree. Wait a minute, Mike. I'm starting to get a little, I'm a little frustrated with a lot of other Christians. Get back to the tree. You can't look at people you're upset with without first looking at Jesus or else you will feel entitled, you will feel embittered, you will feel justified to hashtag cancel them. Hashtag I'm dead to you. Hashtag a whole bunch of stuff. Jesus says, hashtag it is finished. Get back to the tree. I make visits back to my tree sometimes. I think Leah, because now the tree is right there in my office. I literally, during the week, will go and pick this thing up. This is why I think, I, I, I just need us under, the fluency means you understand you were saved by his work. It was his performance. It's what he did. When the devil says, you're so guilty, you're like, you're exactly right. But Jesus isn't. And in between me and you is Jesus. He's my shield. He's my rock. He's my refuge. We become anti-fluent when we start saying things like, well, I've been so good, or I've done so much more in this marriage, or I've been so much better than you have in this friendship. Or That is telltale signs that you have abandoned the grace fluency, and you've gone back to law, and you are cursing yourself. Whenever you go back to works of the law, you bring a curse upon yourself. The only way we make it as humans is to get back to the tree and say, I do not stand by my works, I stand by his alone. Get back to the tree. Get back to the tree. I think about this in Ephesians 4.29. When you're having a conversation with someone like this, when you're grace fluent, it means things like Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt word, can you put it up there for me? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only, it says, only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may somehow benefit those who listen. So when you're speaking words to other people, like there's this idea of your words need to impart grace to the hearers. So when you're sort of narrating your story of like, oh, my girl, my husband did this to me. Listen, you are a very bad narrator of things that were done against you. What you got to do when you're struggling with stuff is you got to get back to the tree. When you're telling yourself the story of your life, you're a bad narrator of your own life. You're going to convince yourself you were over a sin and then you fall back in the sin. And now the devil is telling you, you should be, man, you haven't done this sin for three straight years. And now you start to tell the story in your mind. Oh man, that's true. Maybe I'm not free at all. Maybe I'm not really worthy. Oh no, Jesus already redeemed me once. He couldn't redeem me again. Do you understand that the redemption of Jesus does not depend on your ongoing effort? It's his ongoing, never ending, everlasting mercy, grace, and love. Get back to the tree. Now, the tree, of course, is the cross. It's not my tree. It's, it's the cross. When you are wrestling, what does it mean to be grace fluent? It means you look at your sins through the cross, and you look at their sins through the cross. That you tell your story through the cross, and you tell their story through the cross. When you start building up all these cases against yourself for condemnation, and all the cases against them for their condemnation, you have abandoned grace, you've moved into something else, and you're living in the spirit of this age, which is anti-grace. And church, I'm telling you, come out and be separate, says the Lord. Walk in the grace of God. 
I am dreaming. You know, I was talking to Jorge, one of our elders, and he was at Publix, I guess, a while back, and, and some lady was trying to run her credit card, and it got declined. She tried another one, it got declined, and, and he's like, you know what? I'll, I'll just pay for your groceries. And the lady's like, what? So she, he, he pays for her groceries. I guess she leaves or whatever. The cashier's like, she looks at George, she's like, or Jorge, she's like, do you go to Greenhouse? <laughs> and he was like, uh, well, actually, yeah. She said, people at Greenhouse do this all the time. I, which I, I like that. I, I like the fact that we're known for being generous with our money. Can you imagine what would happen if we became known for being generous, generous with our hearts? That when someone owes us, they're like, man, they declined. They did you wrong, declined. They, man, they deserve to be shamed in that line. They deserve to be shamed in that meeting. They deserve to be shamed. They deserve for you to hold it against them. They deserve for you to be dead to them. They deserve all these things. But instead of giving them what they deserve, you give them mercy. But instead of stopping just at mercy, you actually give them a gift. You give them the gift of grace. I end it like this. Gordon McDonald said, the world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You don't need to be a Christian to build houses, to feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot give and offer grace. And I don't care how broke you are, you have an immeasurable richness of grace that will stun the world that you live in. A couple of weeks ago, I was on a plane. If you haven't flown recently, if you flew a long time ago, some of us remember when you got meals on planes. They said, hey, we're passing out free food. It is a 25 calorie pack of the smallest number of pretzels you've ever seen. I said, let me get mine. I said, ma'am, could I have an extra one? She said, no, we might be short. I'm like, how can you be short on the smallest packages. It's barely a package. It's like, should say several pretzels, right? The guy next to me said, I'm not, I'm not taking mine. I'm like, I'll take, give me my, give it to me. And so they gave me the gift of the pretzels and it was a gift. In fact, it was a free gift and I did nothing to earn it. But I got to tell you, when I got off the plane, I did not say glory to American Airlines. I did not get on Twitter and say, I just need to give great deep thanks and gratitude for the, um, uh, for the amazing pretzels that I got. The, the nice crunch was really nice. I felt entitled. There's no gratitude when you're entitled. The word grace comes from gift. The root word is Cairo, which is, I rejoice. I'm glad. A lot of you have received many gifts that never changed your life because just receiving a gift doesn't change your life. A gift alone cannot change you. But this gift does. Years ago, I heard the story of the girl that was trying out for her cheerleading squad. And she was at that point, you know, kids are already embarrassed of their parents, but she was especially embarrassed of her mother who physically just looked, she'd been burned and she just, it was bad. And she just looked not right. She had asked if her mom could please not come out when she was doing these final things. A lot of the school was there, they're doing the cheering and she's pulling off all her stuff. And the mother came anyway because she so loved her daughter. And as the girl was doing her final cheers, her mother was her greatest champion and her, her greatest cheerleader as she was cheering for her. But when she saw her mother, she was humiliated and furious and irritated. I've asked you not to come. I'm so embarrassed of you. I don't want to be seen with you. I don't want a picture with you. I don't want to self any of this stuff. And so she kind of sees her mom, gives her the look, looks at her dad, says, I told you not to bring her. And she marches out just, just fuming. 
When her father got home, her father said, honey, I need you to come into my room and we need to talk. He said, I, I think it's time for you to, to know the whole story because the truth about your mother is this. When you were a little girl, our house caught on fire. The firemen were able to get pets out. I was trying to get the kids out. Everything was out except for you. When the house was about to collapse, they let us know there's nothing else that can be done. We need to be glad for what's been saved. To which your mother would have none of it, she reaches over and takes out a towel and she runs into the flames after you. She wraps you safely in, in this towel, preserves you, which is why there's not an inch of your body that's been burned. But as you can clearly see, your mother, she was harmed in a way that she'll never recover. So you see the legs that you jumped with today, those aren't just your legs. That's the gift of your mother. The hands that you lifted today, those aren't just your hands. That was the gift given to you by your mother. And the lungs that you breathe the air in with such strength are not just lungs that give you oxygen. It is the gift of your mother. You were saved with the scars that she now bears. And from that day, the shame she felt for her mother was now changed. Because a gift alone will not change you. It may impress you, but it doesn't change you. But when a gift is costly, it changes you. God himself comes to earth and he becomes a man. He's not just God on earth, he's man, he's human. Where Jesus doesn't just give you, he doesn't just write a check out of his billions. He writes his salvation with his scars. The scars that he bears are yours. He goes into the depths because he dies on a cross for our sins. He becomes publicly shamed, so we'll never have to be. He goes up on a cross where he pays pay on a tree, up on a public execution stake, stripped naked, shamed publicly, takes your shame and yours and yours and yours and yours. It's not just a gift. It's the costliest gift there ever was. Because a gift can change you when the gift is costly. And this gift was more costly than any other. For God so loved you that he poured out grace on you. How do we become grace fluent? We gotta keep coming back to the tree. 